This episode of the Campaign Podcast is brought to you by Critio. The future is an open internet where discovering your brand is a positive experience. Made possible by Commerce Media. Learn more at critio.com forward slash future. This episode features content about war that some listeners may find upsetting. It was also recorded prior to WPP shutting down its Russian operations, so this issue has not been discussed. Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. On the 24th of February, Russian President Vladimir Putin launched a large-scale invasion of neighbouring Ukraine, bombing major cities causing unimaginable horror and a humanitarian crisis that has been widely condemned by Europe, the UK and much of the world. Although there's been a courageous resistance on the ground in Ukraine, led by the impressive President Vladimir Zelensky, at the time of recording, the situation appears to be worsening, with no clear end or peace in sight. Obviously, the humanitarian crisis is what is important right now and at campaign we have been very cautious about how we cover this conflict Uh, let's be honest advertising really doesn't matter and is trivial in the fog of war but there have been some industry concerns in particular about how colleagues in ukraine are faring and closer to home some apparent brand safety issues involving a certain animated russian meerkat to discuss these issues specifically i'm joined by campaign's work and inspiration editor imogen watson jeremy hine the ceo of marketing advertising and communications network mullenlow group uk and jenny bigham the owner of the uk's largest media agency the seven stars welcome to you all hi hello hi Now, Imogen, um, I don't know about you, but following this conflict on the news and social media has been particularly challenging on so many different levels. You know, you have the incredible courage and resilience of the Ukrainian people, uh, the human tragedy of all those lives being destroyed. You know, you've got anger against Putin and frustration about the limited response from the West. Uh, On a personal level, how have you sort of found it just just watching it unfold? Uh, I think you... You capture it really well. Um, you know, on the one side, it's catastrophic, it's barbaric, it's really difficult to take on board. Uh, and then on the other side, it's incredible to witness just how the Ukrainian people are appearing so optimistic and acting re- so remarkably calm and considering what's going on. You know, I'd be in the first flight out of there. So they're really showing the world what it means to be Ukrainian. And it's quite something. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you saw uh, Zelensky's heartfelt plea to the European Parliament yesterday. Yeah. And it's been quite amazing to see that he's done more to transform, like, the West's policy towards Russia in the last 30 years than he's done um, just in the last few days. So, um, you know, his defiance has been truly inspiring. Um, and, you know, it's sort of inspired and shamed world leaders to to respond and uh, trying to turn into Russia into a pariah state. So, you know, it's very difficult to tell what's going to happen, but hopefully it's something will come out of this and no good. Yeah, I mean, certainly on a communications front, he's been really, really good and effective during what has to be an unbelievably challenging time. Uh, Jeremy, what, what's sort of been your response on a personal level? How have you followed it? Do you have any personal connections over there? Yeah, on a personal level, uh, yeah, followed it carefully. We have a uh, an affiliate agency there uh, run by uh, Svetlana, uh, who I've known for some time. And, uh, you know, it's very worrying to think uh, what they must be going through. My global CEO is Ukrainian-born, uh, so he's following this exceptionally carefully. Uh, and he has family in, in Ukraine uh, that he is trying to help and support out. 
And, you know, it is worrying how this is going to unfold. And I agree with Imogen. I think the resistance to date uh, has been fantastic. I think that is possibly, from a personal point of view, now starting to put a bit of egg on Putin's face. And I think he's the sort of person that will come out uh, very strongly. And I think it's other areas for me also is, you know, my, my feeling is the Russian people themselves uh, aren't supportive of this war. Um, and the, the news that they're being fed needs to be, I think, taken with a pinch of salt. And also speaking to colleagues in neighboring countries like Poland, uh, they are preparing uh, for the influx of Ukrainian people who are sort of displaced by the war. So it has a knock-on effect, I think, over many, many areas. And you can tell this sort of NATO, uh, the 30 markets of NATO are all invested in this, waiting to see what happens next. Uh, we know they can't step onto Ukrainian soil, uh, but will it end there? So I think this will run for a very long period of time. It's quite concerning, isn't it, Jenny, when you think about it? Obviously, the current you know, front line is very much in, in Ukraine at the moment. Uh, it can potentially spill. We don't know what's in Putin's mind. Uh, what, is, what has been your take on it so far? And, and do you have any sort of personal uh, connections or, or family or, or what have you over there? Yeah, I, I don't have uh, any personal connections. And, you know, from a a kind of uh, business perspective, you know, we're we're just here in in the UK, but equally, you know, lots and lots of the people that work here are from that part of the world. Um, and I think being mindful that much as this news is impacting everybody, um, a, a kind of global level, I think if you are from one of the neighbouring countries, or you're from, you know, for your near neighbours with the Ukraine, it's going to impact you even more because that you know, the, to, to Jeremy's point, nobody knows what happens next. And I think, you know, as as, as an employer, you have a duty of care to, to look after your, your team. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and it's one that I, I want to sort of dive into. And, you know, we have to be clear that while you know, the, the, the overall humanitarian crisis is is the most important focus. You know, we're, we're an advertising publication and we're trying to look at ways this is impacting the industry. And one of those ways is in terms of colleagues who may be working over there. Now, Imogen, you wrote an excellent report about what some of the big advertising holding companies are doing to provide support. Can you sort of elaborate on that and share some of the things that you learned? Uh, so it's obviously all very close to home and the idea that someone at the end of an email is a, in the middle of a war zone. Um, and I think a lot of agencies obviously pride themselves in family culture and looking out for each other. So it really is how the way that they're turning up to this and responding to the crisis is very telling. I think there's main areas that's been sort of split into is the making sure that lines and communication are constantly open for people, uh, financial support. Um, so the likes of publicists have promised that they will have a guaranteed salary until the end of the year and uh, have already paid for March. Um, I know that WPP sent money over as well um, for people to help them with medical costs or, or just resources at the time um, and also relocation. So trying to get as many people out as possible, obviously it's not very easy to do, um, but it's been amazing to see the amount of colleagues and, and employees from um, all their sort of affiliate agencies offering, offering up their homes and transport from the border and just doing whatever they can. And, and it's and it's short and long term, you know, it's, it's short term as getting as many people out as possible, but also the realisation that it could be a lot longer that they're um, having to relocate for. So, you know, providing resources for languages and, and, and making it so that they, they can continue um, to live elsewhere. Um, but it's a day by day, case by case situation and it's changing it's changing every day and i think that 
you know, some of us thought perhaps the there was reports that it would that Ukraine or Kiev would have fallen over the week last weekend. Um, obviously, there were, no one could have even foreseen how well the resistance has, has you know fought back. So it is just a case of working in the time now and also trying to look forward. Yeah, okay, which is obviously very difficult. And I just want to make it clear to our listeners that if you would like to read Imogen's um, report, uh, it also does provide some links where you can donate money to charities um, on the ground over there. Uh, Jeremy, you mentioned before that you did have a Ukrainian affiliate agency that you work with um, over there. Can you sort of share some insights in terms of how they're trying to manage this crisis? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that we're trying to keep uh, lines of communication quite simple. So our global team are in contact with them directly. I think if there are too many involved, uh, it can become sort of confusing. You know, I've, I've written on behalf of the UK uh, just to say we're here, we're right behind you. But I think in that case, you know, Alex and the global team will be will be leading that. Sure. I think, you know, just to build on some points that Imogen was saying, I think uh, we're approaching this in, in three different ways. What IPG are doing and what Mullenlow Group as a global company doing donations to the International Red Cross and Doctors Without uh, Borders. That uh, direct communication from uh, the global team into uh, Ukraine to see what can be done. But I think it's important for us as well uh, that people here in the UK or in our teams in the UK feel that they can do something. So we are looking to uh, London-based charities that we can support uh, to help with that, but also throwing the question out to the staff, you know, we're a creative business. We should be able to think of inventive ways that we can support, whether that's moral support, whether that's donations or others, uh, to, to do that. So, yeah, the, the people in Ukraine need our support. Uh, they will get that support. But I think it's got to be effective support. You know, as, as the, the the famous phrase from the president there is, you know, I don't need a ride. You know, I need weapons. So we've got to make sure that we are focused on doing the right things and not, I think, polluting the system, uh, particularly in forms of communication at a time when communication needs to be clear uh, and probably simple. Yeah, well, what's your sense in terms of what the right support is at this moment? Well, what can people over here currently do to to help right now? Well, I think uh, I think stay close to you know the moral support. If you've got friends there, communicate regularly with them. There are things that we're doing. There's uh, the White Eagle organisation, which is a Polish organisation, which is based in Balham. Uh, they are putting an Arctic lorry together to go out to Poland next week to give uh, direct contributions to refugees. So, from a personal point of view, I'm uh, giving things to them in terms of clothes, in terms of. Uh, not food, that's that's not allowed, but shoes, batteries, torches, all that sort of thing. So to make sure it's getting to people to do it, I think it'd be hard to get stuff into Ukraine. I think the, uh, you know, the allies have to make sure that those borders remain open for the for the movement of what may be humanitarian aid going in. But I think the first phase we can do is to support those that are coming out uh, to make sure that they have a, you know, care and support and warmth and, and, and food and those sort of aspects. Okay. Jenny, what, what do you think the industry can do? Is there more that, that um, Adlan can do to provide support? I mean, again, from our perspective, you know, we completely agree with, you know, keeping lines of communication open. And we, you know, we get the whole agency together every week. We did that this morning. And, you know, we just openly talked about that. So people shared their own experience, their own kind of, you know, how people were feeling consuming all of the you know the information around it and uh, we ended on some uh, again positive action that that you know we can take as an agency and positive action that people can take if they want to contribute in their own way so that's partly around donations so we 
um, as an agency, we are donating, we're actually donating to UK-based organisations that are dealing with, um, you know, refugees and uh, situations like that. We've kind of shared links if people want to make personal donations either to our chosen charity that we're supporting or to, you know, direct to kind of Red Cross in Ukraine. And, and I think we talked as well openly about just the importance of sharing news, so kind of fact-checking and sharing news from reliable um, sources on social media because I think that you know we are so fortunate in the UK that we have such great news outlets and trusted news outlets um, but it's really important that we use social media to to kind of get some of those messages um, across to people in other parts of the world maybe that where they're where you know where they're not having access to that to those news points. Mm, it's an interesting point you mentioned about fact checking and social media and that sort of stuff. What's your impressions in terms of how those big tech platforms have responded? Do you do you think they're going far enough? There's all there's always criticism and there's always more that the um, the platforms can do. Um, but I do think Facebook in particular have been pretty clear and upfront with us. So there's been lots of communication. This is what we're doing. This is what's in place. Share it with the team. Share it with clients and things like that. I do think that the platforms, you know, they play a huge role in spreading information Mm. and you know yes there's always criticism around fake news and things like that but actually their role in in spreading genuine news um is really significant Mm. Uh, just just on on that point about what they are doing what's the latest it seems to be changing on a day-by-day basis in terms of what what they are doing Uh, the last thing i read and i I don't know it, it might have changed since then is that they were stopping um you know Russian Russian TV or um, and other sort of state-owned Russian channels from distributing content in in certain markets. Uh, Russia was not one of those at the time. Do you have sort of an update in terms of what 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 the plans are or what what they're currently doing? One of the big things Facebook does do is enable people to um, communicate around safety, being able to know when people are safe and people being able to communicate that they're safe in any of these um, situations in the past has been really, really significant. And I think, you know, just knowing that your contacts are safe and being able to communicate with them on a kind of personal level within your own network is the, is the probably, you know, a hugely important role that that these networks play because I think I think sometimes there is almost too much light shone on you know fake news and spread of misinformation but equally I think the fact that people are able to you know within a network communicate with to groups of friends and groups of known individuals I think is you know that's huge right that's something that we never had in a in a in a conflict in past times. Yeah, it's a good point, isn't it, Imogen? Because they do provide that service. You know, sure, there's there is a lot of light focused in terms of spreading misinformation and, and I guess in this situation, propaganda. But we do also forget that they, they, for a lot of people who don't necessarily live in these countries or these regions, but have family and loved ones there, they provide a very valuable way of connecting and and keeping in touch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They do, and that that's the sort of this is when it comes to to the highlight is when you're in a situation like this where a crisis and you can really see, obviously, as we said, the positives and the negatives. Um, but that's is the main thing is keeping people in touch. Yeah. What, what's your take, Jeremy? What Do you have a view on this in terms of what the platforms are doing? I mean, it's interesting. A lot of people are turning to TikTok, which worries me a bit because I think there is some genuine stuff there. But I think there's a lot of stuff that is hard to filter, whether it's relevant or not. Um, you know, I prefer to go sort of far more sort of trusted sources. Uh, there's a guy called uh, Nolan Peterson, 
who's a ex-US Special Forces, who's in Ukraine. So following his Twitter feed with his knowledge of military operations and genuine information, I find aspects like that sort of quite useful. Um, you know, I think the uh, sort of the, the, the main sort of Kiev independent newspaper is still going. Uh, what worries me is if Putin's forces do manage to take out more uh, communications targets uh, you know, we saw they try to sort of take the main sort of TV tower out yesterday. Uh, as long as we can keep those lines of communication so the Ukrainians can communicate with each other, I think that's really important. So keeping those sort of phone networks and other forms of communications going. Uh, it's just, I think, still amazing in, in, you know, in Russia that they can shut down certain forms of communication. Uh, and I just don't think it's the message that's uh, not getting through. I think it's the mentality of the regime, how they inform their people. Uh, the spin they put on the stories. And I'm just hoping that, you know, Jenny was alluding to, you know, we can use our voice to push East into Russia, sharing what we believe the reality of the situation is going on. Because we know a lot of the Russian people, um, you know, believe that they're still doing uh, exercises around the borders and no real invasion has taken place and, and stuff like that. So I think people find their own reliable sources. But I think in this point, you know, consumer-generated content of those on the streets, those that are there, those that are in the bunkers, those that have made it across the borders, they're probably the true stories to to really listen to and, and take on board. Mm. Uh, some folks that, that probably don't believe everything they read in Russia would be the oligarchs. Uh, you know, there's been a number of them that have been sanctioned, and that's one of the, I guess, soft power options uh, that the West has in, in terms of uh, you know, issuing economic sanctions against major banks, uh, oil and gas giants, and other Russian businesses. And, and that's also extending to sport. You know, FIFA and UEFA have come out and imposed bans on the Russian football teams, which probably means Russia won't be at the next World Cup. Uh, the IAC is also considering doing something similar, and I'm sure other sporting codes will follow. I'm just curious, Jeremy, from an industry perspective, do you think agency groups uh, could also issue similar boycotts against Russian clients? And would that be helpful? Um, I think you have to take that very much on a case-by-case basis. Um, you know, actually all our businesses are touched by, uh, you know, international clients that operate there. Um, I think their first primary concern is, you know, genuinely the clients I know is of their, their people in those markets. Uh, and I think that's absolutely key. And I just, you know, there's probably not a lot of consumer interest at the moment in terms of buying certain products. So I think you have to take that on a case by case basis. I think uh, it's right what a lot of the uh, sporting governing bodies will do. It'll be interesting to see which way the Paralympics swings uh, in the next you know, couple of days, where that's going. And I think those, those aspects will really start to bite with uh, the everyday sort of Russian people. You know, this exclusion from the rest of the world, uh, you know, that has power in itself in terms of forcing that sort of generation to rise. But on a, on a client basis, I think you have to look pretty specifically at the individual business. And clients have to take the lead on that. Uh, agencies will have a point of view and agencies will support as partners. But I think you need to look at that on a case-by-case basis. Are you aware of any conversations of that nature? Um, I'm sure there are some uh, going on. I mean, we work closely with Unilever and with Bayer. Um, you know, in many, many, many markets around the world. So I'm not directly involved in those individual pieces of business, but I'm sure uh, that, that that market context will be will, will be a, a hot topic of conversation. Mm. And, and Jenny, the seven stars, uh, most of your clients, you know, would be sort of UK, maybe maybe you've got some European clients. What, what's your sort of view on that in, in terms of the action that, you know, the seven stars can do to encourage client boycotts or, or to even not work with clients that, that may be 
doing a lot of business in, in Russia. We're very lucky because we are an independent agency and we can make those decisions ourselves right about what type of clients we do and don't want to work with and uh, and that can be on any basis and I think what we would tend to do when you know if you're ever in any doubt about should you or shouldn't you be working with a particular advertiser is you know I think the, the temperature test I always take is well do people want to work on this kind of business and if you get quickly to a no or not sure then it's an easy decision for us to make I'm not a huge I, I I always think that you know kind of agency boycotts to get you so far and I think um you know do they do they make huge long-term societal change I can't think of many that have done and and led to kind of different outcomes um so there is a little bit of you know you, you I think you need to make the right decision the right decision for your agency the right decision for the people that work in your agency but you know you have to be careful that it doesn't become too um self-serving Sure. Okay. Uh, let's move along to matters that are ha- happening a little bit closer to home. Uh, Imogen, you know, in the past week, a insurance company, uh, com, decided to pull its ads um, featuring the Russian meerkat Alexander Orlov from news bulletin spots. Can you sort of share with our listeners a bit more about that? Yeah. So um, it's, I think it was a case where it was one of those things where we thought about it and we were like, would that happen? No, no, it couldn't do. And as it sort of progressed, <laughs> it was like, oh, actually they have pulled them from news pieces. But I think it's just a sensitivity thing. You know, there, there's a sort of obviously two sides to it where it feels perhaps it is one step too far and people are intelligent enough to realize that the meerkats uh, from compare the market are nothing to do with Putin. But I think it's just a sensitivity when you're watching the news and you can see what's going on and then, you know, it just, it jars. It doesn't feel right. So I think that while it looks from the exterior quite an, an extreme thing to do, I think it is a quite a sensitive thing to, to take into account. Probably a little bit tone deaf to have, uh, those ads in, in the middle of a news bulletin right now. So I think, you know, if I was, you know, advising them, I would probably have come to the same conclusion that they have. But I think, you know, I think it's a really, there is, there is a bigger issue around, um, you know, content and where advertisers want to be showing up. It's such a nuanced argument because there is loads and loads of research out there. Um, we've done some, Hearst have done some, a lot of people have done some really good studies around, you know, um, people's receptivity to advertising in different contexts. And I think it's pretty conclusive that, you know, if you are in positive contexts, um, advertising A works better, B is remembered better. It, it is interesting, and I, I totally take your point. Uh, but I guess you, you also have to put look at it from the view of, of, a, you know, of, of a news broadcaster uh, attracting a lot more eyeballs, people are a, lot, a lot more glued to the television. Um, is there really any harm in running ads at such a time? You know, we are so fortunate to have all of this you know incredible news content and there are you know journalists out there in a war zone to bring us first-hand stories of what's happening out there and I think you know there there is almost an argument that if advertisers stopped wanting to be in that type of content you're effectively defunding something that is so crucial to society at large. Jeremy does the uh, meerkat oligarch Alexander Orlov deserve to be sanctioned? You know, I don't work with that client, and I'm sure they came to that decision after quite a lot of discussion. But I agree with, uh, with Jenny, I think, and also what you're saying is it, I think people have uh, can only absorb so much content. And I think so much content absorption at the moment is focused on the news uh, and other other news outlets. 
uh, I think sort of uh, attention on sort of commercials at the moment is slightly relevant. I think people are either trying to escape the news for a bit of relief because it's so, so intense of what's going on at the moment, or they want to follow it very carefully. Um, so I think, you know, again, the advertisers need to, to make their own calls. Uh, and we know, you know, there are various situations uh, where work can get pulled very quickly. But I think it has to be pulled for the right reasons, uh, with the right sort of uh, uh, compunction as well. I think, you know, an animated uh, meerkat is, is one situation. I think there are other situations that are a lot more grave, uh, where advertisers need to step in and react uh, very quickly. But I think, you know, I think don't think people's minds are on that. It wouldn't have crossed a lot of people's minds, but I think, you know, they've made their decision and it probably wasn't an easy decision to make. I think it's done. Uh, there are bigger issues, so we should sort of, you know, focus on the, the bigger challenges at hand. Sure. Uh, I, I guess it does, though, raise a point, and, and you kind of touched on that a little bit about the sensitivity uh, of brands, not just in advertising, but also on social media and, and other sort of communications channels. Are you having any discussions with clients about that sort of stuff at the moment? And, and what would you be advising them at, at, at this sort of time? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's conversations go on. It's a sort of, it's, it's a slightly different parallel. But when COVID first came out, uh, people were thinking, you know, what do we do? It was a whole new situation. And some people tried to lean into it too much and it backfired. And others sort of pulled away to Jenny's point, you know, investment is, is still required. But I think it, it, it totally depends on the sector you're in, uh, in terms of what you're doing. You know, if it's FMCG products and so on, that very much a sort of day to day thing. Uh, I think that's relevant. Other, other sectors, it, it's a harder challenge to, to do. But again, you know, those conversations with the client on a, on an individual basis, uh, on the best way to proceed and they need to be tabled. Need to be discussed thoroughly and quite quickly. I think the worst thing you can do is sort of knee-jerk reactions. Um, sometimes pressure comes from the minority, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I think you have to look at the sort of the bigger picture in its entirety to uh, to, to make a, a consolidated, well thought through uh, action rather than just a quick uh, knee-jerk reaction. Okay. Uh, finally, Imogen, uh, I wanted to point out a bit of excellent creative, you know, really, really powerful stuff uh, from Ukrainian agency. Um, can you sort of share some details? I think you wrote about this. Yeah. So obviously, the last couple of years have all had their production problems with advertising, but to be able to create an ad from a war zone when, you know, you imagine everyone's just you know, not working and looking after themselves. It was just amazing to see. Um, and the it's from a Kiev-based agency called Banda. Um, and it's asking for international support uh, from, from yeah, international support and, and the wanting people to like and share it. But it essentially just shows footage um, because we've been talking about, obviously, these issues within misinformation and, and trustworthy sources and whatnot. And it actually is sort of taken from the, the source of what's going on and, and documenting, you know, them down in the... Um, taking refuge during the nights in the bunkers and and you know the, the actual scenes of of buildings being blown to pieces um so it's just absolutely something that you takes your breath away when you see and yeah just want to share as much as possible because that's what they wanted us to do um is to get as many supporters to post a video and whatnot so anything that that we can do to share that Okay. Now, Jenny, I, I'm aware that you haven't had a chance to look at that clip uh, before this podcast, but Jeremy, I believe that you have. Uh, what was your pers- um, reaction to it? What, how did you find it? I think uh, I think the powerful thing to me was the uh, collage of everything in one place, because what we've been consuming is individual, uh, you know, pictures from Twitter or news feeds or bits and pieces. I think when you put that as a collective together, um, I think that's where it has the power. Um, you know, and I think it's it, you know 
it's thought-provoking in terms of the content as it would be. There's a there's a story that sort of runs through as of what's going on. You know, is there a big deep idea in there? No, but I don't think that's its intention. It's basically to stop people, make them pause, make them consider what they're doing, and uh, bring them along to, you know, what is quite in in some areas graphic representation of the reality of life on the streets in Ukraine. Um, so I commend them for doing that. And actually, you know, there's some fantastic production capabilities in Ukraine that probably now are on hold. We've shot a lot of stuff there quite recently. So, you know, if, if they can keep doing work and if we can keep supporting the production capabilities in that market, fantastic. Okay. Well, I will include a link of that video in the episode description. So please do make sure you watch it. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. um, But I'm sure the panel will join me in wishing that this horrible war in Ukraine ends very swiftly and very peacefully. Um, If you do want to donate any money to the people in Ukraine and the charities that are trying to help them out, uh, I do urge you to please read that campaign article linked in this episode description. Um, it will give you some insights and where you can go to do that. Uh, thank you, Imogen, Jenny and Jeremy for joining the campaign podcast. And also thank you to our producer, Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. Please do subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Acast or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's it from me for today. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. Thank you to Critio for sponsoring this episode of the Campaign Podcast. Critio is creating an open internet where you can choose what's best for you and future you. Learn more at critio.com forward slash future.